the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. I think one of the challenges of evangelism is that it seems uh, really simple. We know the gospel, we know we are to evangelize, and we know we are to tell people who don't know the gospel about it. But at the same time, for many of us, if not most of us, it can be terrifying. Although the message is simple, it is clear, there are issues of the heart that need to be dealt with for effective evangelism. And be careful, when I say effective evangelism, again, I'm not talking about garnering results. We don't do that. Effective evangelism is simply evangelizing. And when I say that we need to deal with issues in our heart, part of what I'm talking about is if you struggle with the fear of man, you need to deal with that. It's not just something like stage fright that you're always going to have no matter what. You can pray about it. You can figure out exactly what it is that causes you to have those fears, those butterflies in your stomach or whatever it may be. Maybe it's not fear of man. Maybe it's a lack of understanding of what to say. Those are issues you need to deal with as well. And really such is the case in everything in the Christian life. We need to be prepared so that we can be more obedient. There are certain things that we need to be working on all the time. But there are certain issues in our life, certain sins or certain temptations that just come once in a while, and we can't wait until those opportunities or those situations present themselves. We need to have our heart and our thinking right now, correct now, so that when the opportunity to evangelize, for example, or when that, that, that thing that doesn't go your way happens where you usually get mad or, or explode. You need to know now how you will deal with that when the situation arises. Not only in action, but even more importantly, in hard attitude, which flows out into your actions, whether it's clear evangelism or patience, or your heart flowing out into a violent temper or fear of man that just makes you cop out when the chance comes to preach the gospel. Even now, in our unique situation and shelter in place, in a time where you are limited in human contact, perhaps it's even more important now to work on your evangelistic ministry. In other words, work on your evangelism now when you are not evangelizing. Because if you're not actually evangelizing, then you have the opportunity to prepare your mindset so that when the doors open or that that someone hangs around in your 
office meeting online and you have an opportunity to talk to them or even through text messages or notes or whatever it may be, we need to prepare our mindset now so that when those times come, we will be ready. We will be clear. We will honor the Lord. And it is helpful that we have been looking at five lessons, five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's ministry. I know that's a mouthful. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching. And remember, we've been looking at the wisdom of God contrasted against the wisdom of man. And he explained that the end of chapter one. And then at the very end of chapter one and starting in chapter two, we're in first Corinthians. He's given us two practical examples of how that wisdom plays out in our lives. And here we see Paul explaining the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man in his ministry. And from that, we are looking at practical lessons for our personal ministry, especially as it relates to evangelism. And the reason we're talking about evangelism in this and not just general ministry is because the context of what Paul is talking about in displaying the wisdom of God is his proclaiming the gospel to the Corinthians for the first time. Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are in verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first two verses. We're going to finish it off this morning. Verses 1 through 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm reading and preaching from the New American Standard. Paul writes, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I want to review real quickly the first two lessons that we saw a couple weeks ago. The first lesson for evangelism was that the mindset, the mindset is distinct. I saw that from verse one. I'll read that for you again. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Now, again, he's referring to his first visit to Corinth, where these people were unbelievers at the time. And he led the Corinthians to Christ and established the Corinthian church. Paul goes back to how he started this whole discourse regarding the wisdom of God. Remember, this is a time 2,000 years ago in ancient Rome when Greek oration and philosophy coupled with the captivating Roman public speakers and politicians in this time, in this norm, this status quo, if you will, Paul rejects the methods and wisdom of man. In other words, he's not trying to draw people with how well he speaks. He's not trying to sound fancy or eloquent. He's not trying to be praised for his speaking abilities. What he is doing is he's simply relying on God and preaching God's message. After his sermon, he's not interested in hearing people come up to him and saying, wow, 
That was great. You are a really gifted speaker. No. What he wants to hear is people coming up to him and saying, you're right. I need the Lord. I am a wicked sinner. I need to repent. You see, the focus is not on himself. The focus is on God. Remember, it's not that Paul isn't thinking, using his brain about what he is saying or trying to order his thoughts in a progressive fashion. We know he does this. He also uses his understanding of human affairs and the culture to relate his message to his audience, to make it practical. That's actually one of the many reasons we spend so much time looking at the scriptures word for word, because in our modern English, some of these things may mean something different than what it meant 2,000 years ago. And Paul is using words and terminology that people would have used in that day. He's not trying to use fancy words. He's not trying to have people look up his, his, uh, his vocabulary in a dictionary or a thesaurus because he's just so educated and so eloquent. No, he's using the vocabulary of the day. He's using, as Jesus did, analogies and pictures of the day. It may seem strange talking about Jesus, how he uses all these uh, illustrations from vineyards and farms and winemaking. We, we don't know that. We have to study to understand what that means. But the people of the day would know that. And in God's sovereignty, everyone since can research and look back and say, oh, this is what they did back then. Were he to use his infinite wisdom as God and 2,000 years ago use illustrations from the coronavirus or the Internet, you'd have 2,000 years of people who have no idea what he's talking about. And so even in speaking to that local audience of that time, we see the infinite wisdom of God. And the point for Paul back in 1 Corinthians is, is that he doesn't focus on the delivery to the detriment of the message. So again, of course he's concerned about the delivery. Of course he wants to be clear. Of course this is one of the many areas where he and we need to excel still more to strive for perfection. I study. I write notes. I order my thoughts. I try to say things in a way that are clear. But I'm not going to try to focus so much on myself and my delivery to the detriment of what it says in the word of God. And this I learned from the example of Jesus Christ, his word, and here the Apostle Paul. And so the reasoning of why he doesn't do this, why he doesn't focus so much on the delivery to the detriment of the message, was found in our second lesson for evangelism. And that is the message is direct. The message is direct. Look at verse 2 again. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you remember, the grammar tells us that even before he went to Corinth, Paul made a deliberate choice to know and focus on nothing outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wasn't trying to persuade men with the allure of false promises of riches or happy lives. He focus on, focuses on what he knows and what he's been excuse me, what he's been commissioned to proclaim. That is Jesus Christ. 
even in his instruction to believers. He doesn't give his personal opinion or adjust the message based on his personal experiences or frustrations. Again, yes, he uses those as illustrations to, to, to relate to the listener. But that is only a way to bring them to the gospel. Sure, he's frustrated. He doesn't just lay into the Corinthians, but he rebukes them in a way that brings them back to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Last time, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And this passage speaks of false teachers that, using Paul's uh, terminology in that passage, 2 Timothy 4, these false t- teachers tickle the ears. They, they say what makes people feel good. They say what the, 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 the sinful mind, the sinful ear is itching to hear. And these teachers, these false teachers, ultimately are popular because they have been chosen by the world to preach a message they want to hear. In other words, when you see these stadiums and these TV stations dedicated to false teachers, and you say, wow, he must be really good to manipulate these people to the point that he has so many followers. No, that's not it. What it is, is he's saying exactly what they wanted to hear in the first place. Yes, there are cults with followers, but not in the thousands These cults that you've heard about, that many of whom, unfortunately, their followers commit suicide trying to seek something, a higher plane or whatever it may be, they don't have large followers because they still require some sort of sacrifice and and removing themselves from the world. And so there's only a few followers in which those people have been brainwashed and manipulated. But these false teachers that invoke the name of Jesus Christ use the Bible, but very loosely, they have huge followers because they're saying what the people want. They are not preaching a message that entails things that people don't like. What they want to hear is not sin. It's not hell. It's not submission to someone else. It's not repentance. Ultimately, it's about whatever they can do to justify, in the name of God, their wanton desires, their felt needs, their fleshly temptations. Find me a church, they say, that's going to look the other way and even rejoice in love when I commit adultery or when I live with my girlfriend and not being married. Find me a church that's going to tell me that I can worship God and essentially love money. Find me a church that actually says the two are the same thing because God wants you to be literally wealthy, rich in this life. Of course, these people want to hear these things, but that's not what the scriptures say. In the end, what they believe and follow is not the gospel truth. But as we saw last week, worldly myths. That's what 2 Timothy 4, 1-5 says. 
They accumulate for themselves teachers that tickle their ears, and eventually they go so far down the broad road that they turn to myths. And many of these myths, as presented by these false teachers, attach the name of Jesus Christ in order to make them sound credible. And whoa, the best of both worlds. Love the world and Jesus loves me. Who wouldn't want that in their sin? But anything outside of the purity and simplicity of the gospel message, regardless of whose name you invoke, is a myth. Let me give you an example. My name is Roger. I am a pastor. I am an Asian. I live in California, and I have brown hair. All of a sudden, even though four out of five of those statements are true, the whole of that statement is a myth. All the more true when talking about the gospel by which we are saved. You change one little thing and it is a myth. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose again. Repent, believe in him, and you will go to heaven and be right with God. But if you follow any other religion, you will also go to heaven. All of a sudden, it's a myth. Say all of those things again. Jesus died for your sins. You're a sinner. Raised again. He is God. He is man. Resurrected, victorious, living in heaven, Lord of your life. Holy Spirit in your, in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. And God wants you to be rich and healthy. And if you aren't, you're not praying enough. All of a sudden, that's a myth. So the gospel, we have to be clear that the gospel is the gospel. Anything added, anything taken away makes it a myth. Ultimately, we are called to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that's it. The message is direct. We, human beings, we do not convince. That's not our job. We do not change hearts. We do not save. Just preach the wisdom of God, the gospel, and let God handle the rest. That's what we are to do. And we've been talking about the wisdom of God that human beings cannot have outside of his grace. And you say, as a Christian, it's no longer the fear of man, but just the weight of the importance and significance of the message. I feel so inadequate. I, I, I feel so unworthy. And I got to tell you that if you feel that way, you have the right perspective. And that leads us to our third lesson for evangelism, our first new point for this morning. The messenger is deficient. The messenger is deficient. Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Who said this? Was this me? Was this you? No. This is the great and powerful and influential Apostle Paul who just said he was in weakness and fear and much trembling. Not only did he reject worldly methods, but he went to the opposite extreme 
and came in weakness and fear and much trembling. Throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul reminds us that God works through weakness. See, fear and trembling shows how different he is than the self-confident, arrogant, self-promoting secular teachers and philosophers and politicians of the day. The power of the message highlights how inadequate he was and how inadequate we are. After all, we are talking about, again, a wisdom from and of God that we could not know were it not for God's grace. So I want you to turn ahead. You're in 1 Corinthians. Turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And we'll see several times that he tells the Corinthians uh, basically what we've just said regarding his weakness and God working through weakness. 2 Corinthians, turn to chapter 2. Look at verses 15 and 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 15 and 16. He says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And here it is. And who is adequate for these things? He's just talking about the gospel, preaching the gospel to unbelievers and encouraging believers with the gospel and instruction from the word. And he says, who's adequate for these things? Who is enough? Who's smart enough? Who's powerful enough? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Jump to chapter 3 and verse 5. Again, speaking of his ministry, he says in 3.5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And there it is. Yes, you are inadequate, but if you preach God's message for his glory, he makes you adequate. He has called you as a steward. He has given you the ability. He has called you as a vessel, an instrument, uh, uh, an ambassador, a mouthpiece, whatever you, you want to call it. Your authority to preach the gospel comes from him. You are inadequate, inadequate, in and of yourself, Adequate because of God. Look at chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12 and verse 5. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. Except in regard to my weakness. He's not cocky. He's not bragging. He's saying there's nothing to boast about. And remember, even on a human level... Before Paul was saved, he, he was someone who had some power. He was someone who was influential. He was someone who was known, not just in his immediate circles, but in the wider circle of Judaism. But now as a believer and a proclaimer of God's message and as an apostle, he's not going to boast in those things that he used to boast about. Look at verses 9 through 10, also in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, 
for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, this is not uh, some weird legalistic false religious teaching where if you just kind of uh, uh, fast and be ascetic, then the Lord will bless you with greater things like some sort of ATM. Punch in the right code, you know, beat yourself, uh, stay away from certain things for Lent or whatever it may be, and all of a sudden the Lord's going to bless you and give you what you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the weaker we are, it highlights the power of Jesus Christ. Right? When my, when my kids want to show me how cool their, their little toy that lights up at bedtime is, I need to turn off the lights for them to see it. I need to turn off the lights so that that light shines brighter. And that's kind of the idea here. You are not strong, you are not mighty, you are not adequate, but sometimes our pride gets in the way. If you realize truly who you are, a sinner saved by grace, turn off those lights, then Jesus Christ's power can shine in your life. And maybe that's part of it, and we'll talk about this more later. But maybe it is, you are so self-confident, you are so arrogant, and that actually keeps you from evangelizing in a way that honors the Lord. Because if you're consumed about self, if you think you're that great, then of course you're going to debate, of course you're going to argue, of, of course you're going to judge and look down on unbelievers, of course you're going to worry about what they think. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.